You're listening to a Why Now podcast. This is Golden Nuggets podcast on whynow.co.uk. I'm your host, Al, and I'm a PE teacher of 15 years. This podcast is about interviewing key influencers in education and giving them a platform to deliver their story. I want to explore why and how they do what they do to better inform parents and pupils on their education journey. Okay, welcome back on the Golden Nuggets podcast. What can you do today that will influence tomorrow? And we're here today with Abed Ahmed, who was the winner of the New Teacher of the Year Award at Washwood Heath Academy in Birmingham. Hi, Abed. How are you, mate? You okay? I'm good, thank you. How are you? And Yeah, I'm good, thanks. And uh, how are you coping with the whole lockdown thing? Everything okay? Um, yes, it's been okay. Um, I think the first couple of weeks was quite tough, but I now think... Um, I've got quite uh, quite used to now just staying at home and just doing my own thing now, really. Well, look, it's an absolute privilege to have you on, mate. I mean, new teacher of the year um, nationally. Wow, I mean, that's that's amazing. Um, can you just introduce yourself for the uh, for the listeners? Just tell us a bit about you know your journey to to what you're doing now and where you're from and stuff like that. Okay. Um. Yeah. So. Um. One of the things that I really struggle with to begin with is just saying my name. Um, due to my summer, it's quite tough, and I just can't seem to say you properly. So I can, I can try my best. Um, so my name is um, um, Abid, um, Ahmed. There we go. That's well, that took quite a long time. Um, I'm twenty six years old. I'm a a maths teacher. Um, I will be a head of maths. Um, in a like in a few weeks in a new school cool um teaching was something that i've always wanted to do from a very uh, from a very young age in fact um, i wanted to be a pe teacher first when i was young but then i decided to become a maths teacher um i'm from birmingham um a like a small town called lozales um i'm not sure if uh, many people have heard of lozales but um, we are situated and we um and it does fall under a disadvantaged um, and deprived uh, local area and stuff so growing up was generally a bit tough in terms of distractions and just the perception that people had on themselves um and that's my life as a teacher has been um okay um i've been teaching now coming to my fourth year and it is something that I really, really enjoy and I hope to do it for the rest of my life. And um, you sort of mentioned you're from Birmingham and you, you teach, do you teach in the same school you went to as well? Is that, is that right? Uh, the first school that I worked in, yes. Um, the first school that I worked in and the school that I trained in, that was the school that I attended um, as a, a young student. Um, and I was teaching there for th- three years which includes my training year and um you sort of mentioned uh, being sort of slightly disadvantaged school um what was it like growing up um for you in terms of your experience at school i really did really did enjoy school um despite the fact that the school was situated in a disadvantaged um, area the school was still a um an ast- 
outstanding school and I felt like the school did so much for us. Um, I think the school really, really made us students forget where we came from and it just showed that you, you could come from very, like, um, very low socio-economic uh, backgrounds, yet, you know, school can be that place for you to really grow into better people, to actually get away from the whole stigma of being from a, a private area. So, so it really did give us a lot of chances and it made us realise that we can still become whatever we want to be and we don't, you know, um, really have to struggle. And the fact that, you know, if you just come to school, you try your best and you leave with some sort of qualifications, then you would really be ready for life. And I think that's what my school really gave us. So I'm really, really, um, you know, grateful of the um, of the lack of education that I received. And uh, what was um, quite interesting about the award that you got, that some of the judges described you as a phenomenal guy and were really impressed um, with a testimony from one of your friends saying, um, I know that he struggled to get to where he is. Um, he was rejected for many of his ITT, uh, his initial teacher training applications, but persevered and went back to train as a teacher at the school he attended. Um, teaching was something that I definitely wanted to do since I was 15 uh, years old. And um, some people think that's quite sad. <laughs> and I've actually heard that from teachers of themselves. Um, I think a lot of people tend to go to teaching um, as a second option. Um, but you know what, since 15, I just knew that, you know, what, teaching is definitely for me. Um, but at the same time, of course, um, I was battling myself with my confidence about myself and, and my speech. And I remember um, every year since the like age of 16, I always went to a lot of train to teach events. Um, I went to a lot of conferences where teachers would give you advice and there was a um, an event that I went to where they encouraged people to apply to to become teachers and um, ironically there was an advisor that I was speaking to and I then spoke to him about you know whether whether my stomach would really stop me from becoming a teacher um, and he did uh, matter I say you might you know really struggle in this job and I think it might be better to to maybe consider another career where you don't have to talk as much of course I so I wasn't too sure if he was actually trying to be nice or, or uh, you know but that that piece of that piece of advice did really put me down because it made me realize you know what this is a, a teacher t t telling me so maybe that person is right and maybe teaching is going to be a career where I struggle to do because of the fact that I that I've got a um, so that did uh, knock me down for about a week or two, but I still applied for my t teacher training. Um, and I applied to my to to, to the university that I was studying at, and I generally thought that my university will definitely give me a, a spot um, on the PGCE course. Um, and I remember um, within like minutes of finishing my interview um, I think I was on the bus home and I got a notification from from UCAS saying that I was rejected and when you've been planning for so long you know because I've been planning this like mentally and 
about for five years and I remember going to my part-time job that day um, I used to be a lifeguard and um, I was just sitting in the bathroom by myself and I just started crying as well um, and that was the first time that I cried in a long time and I just I don't know um, I think it was just fr frustration um, thankfully then um, I did apply to do school direct teacher training um, at my secondary school that I attended as a people and I was so grateful that they did give me a place um, on the course and it's been okay since. <laughs> um, just going through, uh, you mentioned something about GCSE drama in one of your online YouTube clips um, and how that helped you. Could you, could you expand on that slightly? Um, yeah, okay, so so for GCSE drama, um, what I found by the time that I left school was that GC drama was by far my favorite and the and and the most fun subject that I that I ever did. But of course, from year seven, it was probably probably like my worst. Of course, um, I had a low confidence and I was just afraid of what people would think about my stammer. There were loads of kids that used to take the mic from primary school to secondary school and not even in school. Just um, everywhere, um, like some kids would just take the mic and just um, like imitate me and stuff. Um, there's a story that I actually remember from in year seven, and I, I, but I only just remember this a few months ago because um, I found some school reports and um, I was uh, reading my report from my year seven drama teacher, and uh, bless her, um, I'm sure that she did have her. Um, the, the right intentions and what she wrote was that I should um, sit in front of a mirror and just practice the movement of my lips <laughs> of course I was thinking what you know what kind of advice is this um, it, like if you mention that to a speech and language therapist so they'll just start laughing and think what kind of rubbish advice is that and um, yes so I, so I find it really funny um, actually um, uh, reading back by the way, that does not improve your speech or your fluency and stuff. Um, so when I got to uh, year nine, um, we then had to choose our GCC subjects, and and I don't know what what made me choose GCC drama because that was by far the worst subject that someone can probably choose if you if you really struggle with your speech. Well. That's what I thought, but I knew that drama will really um, um, help me to become a confident person. And I was always the type of person where I always preferred to jump in the deep end. And I just wanted to really push myself and um, I chose it. And I remember them on the first day of my course, I really um, uh, hated it. And I went back to my year manager and I told her, please, can you take me um, out of the course and let me just do something else and so she didn't force me but she made me stay on and she goes no this will really uh, help you to become confident so do stay on and you know what um, since then um, it, um, it was by far my favorite subject and um, you sort of mentioned about uh, putting on accents weirdly uh, so did you have any accents that are your favourite that you tried out in, in drama? <laughs> um, 
Of course, so, so um, as I am from Birmingham, but I don't think I've got a strong Birmingham accent at all. Um, of course, I, I, um, I enjoyed, you know, speaking in a Birmingham accent um, as much as I, as I can. And what people who stammer would tell you is that for some reason, if you, if you put on an accent or if you just um, over exaggerate the way that you speak, you stammer uh, less and you speak a bit more fluently. And that's why I think in teaching that suited me as well. Because in teaching, when we're teaching on the board, we do really sometimes um, over-exaggerate the way that we talk. And that really helped me to become fluent. So that did um, help me in, 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 in drama and stuff. Because, of course, it's all about um, acting and just um, over-exaggerating. Um, can you do it? How's your mank accent? You got a good mank accent at all? <laughs> uh, the only phrase that I can say lacking a... Well, um, it's not really a problem. Well, there is a, um, I've got a lot of family from like uh, Manchester and stuff. So I'm just trying to think of what to say. Um, the lights are, kid. Yeah, like they do really um, uh, elongate the words and stuff. So um, if you t tell me a sentence, I can I can try my best. I'm not sure. <laughs> so uh, we're going to sort of slightly move on to the personal traits that you developed to overcome this. So. You sort of mentioned about mental toughness, um, confidence in your own ability and thinking before you speak. I quite like this thinking before you speak. Um, I think this is, we, we briefly touched on it before we, we came on, sort of mentioning about making sure you you really think about what you're actually going to say before you say it. I think you, using Zoom and remote teachings probably emphasise that a bit more. Does it help you as well, do you think? Um, yeah, so when I was uh, growing up and when I realised that I do have a stammer and just so that obviously people don't know the fact that I stammer, um, I do think that, that I was a lot more silent when I was uh, young and I, so I didn't really speak that much um, unless you were like friends that I've been with for years. And so what that forced me to do was always always like listen more to when I speak um, and choosing my words very wisely. And I think that does suit the teaching profession very well. I think um, um, in teaching, you definitely um, have to think before you speak. Um, like you can't just say whatever uh, you want to a people. Um, there are times when I'm telling off a people or, or if I'm speaking to a people outside um, the room, um, what I try to make sure is that I don't just talk a lot and I keep it really short and concise because students, they can't really concentrate on a lack for that long. So, I, so in that sense, um, I've always been short and concise. I've told them, so I tell them what they've done wrong, what they need to do next and let's move on. Um, and that's the same when I'm teaching on the board. Uh, so I don't um, overload them with too much information and I really, really do need to think about what will I say next and what will I say um, after that. And I think that does suit um, the professional and stuff. And I'm the type of person that when it comes to school meetings and I know there's certain types of uh, personalities where some people in meetings, they talk a lot, but really is there any substance to what they say? And I've found that some people have challenged me in 
um, saying, yeah, I'm so, oh, you don't speak much in meetings and stuff, but when I do speak in meetings, uh, what I would uh, like to think is, what I do say uh, um, is quite important and stuff, and it is actually um, uh, relevant and stuff. So, well, I'm not a person that can just speak and speak and just, you know, speak for the country, but it is uh, what it is, really. You, you also run, like, loads of stammer support groups um, outside of school, and you've got something called the Action for Stammering Children. Um just talk to me a bit about what you sort of do in those groups. Um, the like active for stammering children. Um, I think that's a a charity that does support uh, mainly ch children who stammer. Uh, um, I don't work with, with them, but I um have done a video for them uh once. But um, so like every school that I've uh worked in, um, I've always run my own stammer support group, and I found that it was really no support group for them. So like in the first school that I worked in, um, um I had around 10 students who stammered. Um, in, the in the second school that I worked in, the group, it grew from four students to 17 students. So you would be surprised that, um, even though it does affect around one to five percent of children, but that that is still quite a lot, especially if you have a big school. And um, outside of school, I co-run a um, a um, adult support group. Um, it's for free, and um, it's just to try and get more people who stammer to attend, so that we can create a safe environment for them to talk about the stammer and just to try and feel better about um, ourselves. Um, and the things that I do um, in the STAM support groups, it's mainly confidence building activities. Because I'm not a speech and language therapist, um, I'm not going to do no you know, speech, and, uh, speech and language kind of things. So it's it's really mainly to just, you know, become confident in yourself. So we play games that require you to talk a lot um we sometimes even do drama role plays because personally what i found was that drama really supported me in becoming a confident person so i do the same back when i work with um, other people who's drama. what do you want to do a role play with me um yes you could do it <laughs> <laughs> What, what which one do you want to do? So okay, so what I used to do and the role plays, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, people who stammer, they really struggle to to go to uh, like a food shop and just um, um, order your your your, your favorite food. That is quite difficult to do. And so what we did in school with the kids was that, okay, sh uh, let's just do a role play of you walking into a shop and you just uh, ordering all your food. And what I would do is I'd give them small pieces of uh, small pieces of advice. So for, for example, you know how when you go to a fast food shop, uh, loads of the stuff on the menu are um, are numbered. So I tell them. Why don't you just say the uh, number um, instead? Um, another thing that I tell them is, why don't you just go to a shop and just be like, can I have um, um, can I have number five? So so really the students know that they want number five, but just 
just try and make it a bit more natural so you don't stammer as much. So I tell them to do, mm, like, just pretend that they're th thinking and small things like that do. So if you want to practice that, you can. Um, another thing is because um, uh, most of the students, I mean, like, um, people who stammer, um, uh, males are four times as likely to stammer. So most of my stammer groups, wait, no, in fact, all of my stammer groups were like always male. Um, of course, I did have, uh, you know, 14 year olds, 15 year olds. And once we did a role play of how to approach someone you like. So, you know, just simple things like that. And just when I watched them do that role play, it was just ridiculous. <laughs> I suppose it relaxes people a bit, doesn't it? I think I think it's nice to actually you sort of mentioned about like being yourself as well. Um, and when you do when you're in the, you know doing drama, it's you can take yourself out and you can be you can be whoever you want to be. Um, and so that that in some ways is must be quite empowering for them. Um, yeah, um, I think of course, uh, um, like you said, I think drama just gives them that chance to try and be something else and. And I think it then makes you realise that um, if I can be someone else, um, surely then I can be myself. And I think it just gives you those techniques, those skills to try and apply it like in real life. So I start to really um, over-exaggerate the way that I speak, like um, even in my normal life. And I found that that really did uh, help me. So well, that's something that I've learned in drama that, I, that I've definitely applied in my teaching um with te like moving forward for how how you think that schools might be educating people in the future um do you think it will change do you think this this lockdown period will change anything uh um, i think the lockdown period it definitely will give um, a lot of schools food for thought about how we can move forward in terms of um, online teaching, um, I think it definitely will give a lot of schools uh, to, uh, to think about. Um, because I know currently, for my subject, there is already a lot of uh, um, online platforms that that have been um, established and that do work quite well. Of course, um, maths is a subject where you can actually sit down and just watch a video um, a, um, a video where someone's explaining the topic. There's loads of, of like math websites that do that. Then there's like a lot of um, a lot of questions that go with it. So for maths, I think that the subject is okay in terms of, uh, um, in terms of learning online. Of course, for like other subjects, I'm not sure if it might be, um. Like I'm not sure if it might be the same. Of course, for PE, it's a f like it's a lot more. It's a physical subject, so that really can't be um online. Well, unless you follow obviously uh, uh YouTube videos of of things uh, uh, like that and stuff. Um, but just in general, I think what the teach what teaching might look like in the future. Uh, um, I think things will still stay the same. Um, I think teaching, uh, if you compare what teaching uh, really looked like 50 years ago, um, it probably still looks the same now, where you have rows of tables, the teacher 
teaching at the board and students, you know, copying what you do. And I don't think that there's anything uh, really like uh, wrong with that because, you know, there's so many things that were part of teaching 50 years ago that still works today. Um, what I would say is that teaching is definitely going now towards a lot more uh, research-led um, uh, um, um, uh, evidence-based teaching and I think that you know that's definitely the right way forward because there's really really like a no point doing things in teaching that make no difference or doing things in teaching that doesn't make a difference uh, for for the students. Um, I can give you an example um, things like deep marking, just marking every single thing in a book, uh, marking it once, marking it twice, marking it three times. Um, it is a waste of time. It doesn't really make a difference to the child. And now, thankfully, a lot of research is showing that and schools are starting uh, not uh, to listen and really, ad really adapt. But I think the main part of teaching will always stay the same where the teacher is physically standing at the front and doing what they have to do and um what about preparing kids after uh for like after they leave school um which is sort of outside the curriculum okay um i've always felt passionate uh, i've always felt passionate about that side of teaching because i know teaching is just not what you do like in the classroom and i've always said to students if i can't get you guys out to leave with some sort of qualification uh, qualifications or the least that i want is that you guys leave becoming good people i said you know i just have you know um um be kind to people be respectful to people you know that's the least that you can at least um like uh, um leave school with um and the way we do that and the way i'm sure that a lot of schools do it is um you know during your p your pshe lessons where you learn about the world or you learn about things that you probably might not get a chance to learn um, in your curriculum um, in my current school we do that two times a week during form time we have class discussions about things that are going on in the world and I think form time and especially when you're speaking to kids in the corridor I think those are the really perfect times and, and the perfect moments to really speak to students to get to know students and just give them you know pieces of uh, pieces of advice about life and not just always about your subject um as well, I always find those uh those uh, moments are really the best time to do it um and I tend to do it um at form time Really. What sort of a, what sort of news do you reckon you'd cover right now apart from coronavirus? Well, um, right now in the news, like the like they don't seem to show like anything else. So um, <laughs> it's quite a hard question, though, isn't it? Yes. Well, I would. Um, so what I tend to do is I'll find out what's going on in the news and I'll try and see what the point of view is. What do they think about this? What do they think about that? Then I'd give my my advice and stuff um of course i like to try and talk about p politics as well with them of course i don't um tell them you know what party i support or so but really really uh try and get them to think as well um about these kind of things because of course politics will affect your life uh, later 
um, 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 later on and stuff. So I do try and expose them to that because I'm not sure if the kids really get that when they go back home. Um, so just giving them a chance, really. Of course, I like to talk about sport as well uh, with sport, them. Sport, sport. Oh, uh, my favorite sport is football. Um, like I'm crazy uh, um, with football. I play a lot of football. Um, I follow a lot of football, uh, and um, I'm a season ticket uh, holder for for Man United. Um, I know that I'm from Birmingham, but I do support uh, Man United. So that's my number one sport. By far. Who's your favourite player of all time for Man United? Uh, it's uh, Henry Rooney. Um, I'll just say huge fan. Yeah. Um, so I've been following him like since a very young age. Um, and, he's, and he's by far my favourite f- footballer. Like, I'd love to meet him one day. Who knows? <laughs> Not Eric Cantona then? Um, I was... Um, so, like, I was too young to see him play. Um, so I started... F- Watching football when I was 10 years old, so that was in 2003. So, unfortunately, um, I didn't get a chance to really watch yeah, it. Yeah, probably bef- slightly before. Although, R- Ronaldo must have been... You must have seen Ronaldo play, though, surely. So, Rudy's my favourite player, but um, I would always say um, Ronaldo's the best player of all time. Like, of course, a lot of people say oh, Messi and Ronaldo, but, but I'll always stick with Ronaldo. Partly because he played for Man United and stuff. And um, if you actually think about it, um, if you play f- uh, FIFA or if you play l- l- um, like a football game, um, I think a lot of p- people would prefer to choose Ronaldo in the game. That's because he's got uh, loads of things to him and stuff. Um, so I might be a bit biased, but... <laughs> Look, um... If we're going to sort of wrap this up in terms of some golden nuggets, uh, what advice would you give to, uh, to children for, for the future? Um, what I would say to like all children and even adults, you know, I just be kind and and uh, respectful to your parents. Um, like I say that as number one because you know, parents do bring you up. Um, parents do, do do a lot for you. Um, I know that you know. In, um, in some cases, that might not be the case, but I do feel as if that we don't really think about just how much um, our parents do for us, and that's something that I've started to notice now. Um, especially as my parents are growing old, um, so my parents are going into the sixties and the late fifties, and I'm really starting to, you know, think about like all the things that they did. Um, especially coming from from a very deprived area, your parents do whatever they can to just put f- food on the table. So growing up, I didn't really, you know, get a lot of uh, presents for my birthday. Uh, we didn't really go out as a family to the restaurant and stuff. Of course, when I was young, I didn't really like understand that. But growing up, um, I did is because my dad was uh, working for most of the day just to try and make sure that we have food on the table. So that would be my first um, advice. Um, My second piece of advice would be is do your best at school. Um, And I say that quite a lot to to children in my uh, local 
community because I do still live in Lozales and growing up in Lozales of course I've seen a lot of um, friends a lot of people that go down the wrong path and it's so easy to, to do that especially if you come from a um, local area like myself um, and school is definitely that place where you can break that cycle of deprivation so I can't you know um, emphasize it enough just how important school is and I know that um, a lot of uh, famous uh, people and a lot of like famous uh, rich people um, that didn't do so well in school or they do say oh it doesn't matter if you don't do well at school um, look at me and that is true that, that you can still be successful if you don't do well at school but what I've always said to people is that there's not that many of them of course like you might think of uh, uh, Richard Branson or like people that really didn't uh, no, actually uh, Richard Branson did study at, um, at uni I'm, uh, I'm sure but there's uh, um, a lot of famous uh, uh, rich people that didn't and they do to say don't worry about it um, you can still become successful that is true but still just leave with qualifications and then you, you can you know do whatever you want to do and stuff um, and my last piece of uh, um, advice is just be a lovely human being i think the world really needs a lot of them and especially at a time where where like you know like there's so much stuff going on in the world so many countries you know going to, to war with other countries and i just think you know what man it's definitely a time to be kind to people because um you know like it's not that expensive to be kind it doesn't cost a thing at all so that would be my last piece of advice um abed it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on so thank you so much for coming on the golden nuggets podcast right i hope you've enjoyed it and uh yeah and be, it'd be great to keep in touch as well i think it'd be great to share some ideas yes definitely it's my pleasure